Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team hot stretch and what's been a spectacular year for Mookie Betts to one bullet up the middle for another base hit Mookie jam pushes one out shallow center field it drops a 1-1 lace to left field Quan will watch it bounce off the wall swung on looked it in the air to left field Quan's not gonna get it bangs off the wall two runs score Mookie Betts five for five Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Wednesday, August 30th. And not only is there a whole lot to talk about, there was something I never thought we would talk about until last night, which we're going to get to at the end. That's right, waiver wire insanity. Everybody loves good waiver wire legalese talk. First, we're going to talk about Mookie Betts moving his way into the National League MVP race. We're going to talk about the good things and the bad things that have happened to the Baltimore Orioles. We're going to talk about the absolute mess that is happening in the American League West. And then Matt and I have a pair of guys to talk about. Hint, they're both American Leaguers. Neither of them are relief pitchers. Possibly a first for us on this show. Matt, I will have you know, first, I have infuriated all of Atlanta Braves nation by insinuating that Ronald Acuna Jr. may not have the National League MVP totally wrapped up. Obviously, by doing that, I have implied that he is a poor player who is bad at baseball just because Mookie Betts has been unbelievably good. I think the first place to start here is, would you agree with me when I say that it's not just Mookie Betts having a hot month to get back into the race, it's that he's had an amazingly great season, and also at the same time, so is Acuna, like more than one guy can be good at baseball at the same time. Yes, I think that's I think that's the real takeaway here, and it's it's hard to it's hard to have these conversations sometimes without feeling like you have to sort of take down one of the other players. But I think it's we should aim here on this podcast to celebrate both. But I think really what what you, what you try to do in the piece you wrote is just more just call attention to the, I think until recently, overlooked incredible season that Betts is having. And that doesn't take anything away from the fact that Acuna is also having an incredible season. Yeah, they're just kind of getting there in different ways. You know, Mookie Betts right now, uh, right now leads the National League in OPS. And he leads it in wins above replacement. And not by a small amount. It's like almost a full win at both sites. And I, that to me says is, that's a full season thing. That's not just a hot month, although he is having the best month of his career. Like 
Let's not overlook that, right? Here's a man who's had a great career, almost certainly going to the Hall of Fame, and this is the best month he's ever had. He has a more than 500 on base over the last 30 days, which is just stupid to think about. <laughs> 36 home runs. And I looked up uh, over baseball history. I just wanted to know how often, if you lead your league and wins above replacement, and you lead your league in OPS, how often do you win the MVP? And going back through baseball history, the results were sort of disappointing. It was like 50 50. But a lot of that was from like the prehistoric days of baseball when not only did nobody know what wins above replacement was, they didn't know what OPS was. That doesn't really feel like applicable to now. So when I looked at it just over uh, the past 20 years, and it's 12 times it's happened, and 10 of those guys have won the MVP. So I think that is what's going to happen uh, in a month, assuming things haven't changed that much, right? Is you're going to have this battle between, okay, Mookie has led an OPS and war, and that should get you an MVP, versus it's really felt like it's been Acuna's all year, and he hasn't done anything to lose it. You know, like that's a strong narrative in and of itself to say nothing of the fact he's going to go like 30, 70. He's already a 30, 60, right? 30, 70s. That's wild. Imagine doing that and not winning MVP. Well, I mean, he's not, he's, he's one home run away from 30, 60. He's at, well, he will be. He's at 30. Yeah. I mean, 30, 60 has never been done before. And obviously, 30, 60 has never been done. Therefore, 30, 70 has never been done before. And, you know, speed is fun. Speed is exciting. It's doesn't mean Mookie doesn't have it, but like when it comes to stolen bases, that's where Acuna is standing out. And there's never been a power speed season like this before. So it's... Do, do people know the rules changed? Like, have people forgotten this? I don't want to take anything away from what Acuna is doing. Have they forgotten that we made it easier to steal bases <laughs> this year? Like, that matters. It's hard to... You can it say does. That he's, still, he's, still, he's out he, stealing everybody this year, and that's totally fine. Everybody's in the same playing field. But to say he's out stealing guys from years ago who were playing under different rules that made it harder to steal bases, I feel like we need to account for that. The other thing I will say, and this is not, again, I, I say this not trying to denigrate Acuna, but I do think it's interesting about Acuna is that he also leads the league in caught stealing, which I guess, you know, he runs a yeah. lot. So it's not surprising that he would also get caught a lot. But that, like, I mean, stolen bases are fun and entertaining. I'm not telling him to run less, but he's on a team where stolen bases probably matter less than they matter <laughs> on any other team because they always hits in front of a bunch of guys who just hit home runs. You know, so it's, yeah. it's sort of funny that like this is the guy that's it's it's almost it's almost like he's doing it for show, which in some ways might make it more impressive. Yeah, I'm, I, this is too much of a troll move, so I'm not actually going to do it. But it would be funny to go back and look at every single one of those stolen bases and be like, yeah, man, uh, Matt Olson was hitting and he's got had kind of a half decent MVP case himself. Maybe don't steal. Maybe don't risk because he much did the ball out of the ballpark. The other thing, too. is So that's like the great narrative that Acuna has. Right. He's been the front runner all season long hasn't done anything you know, with his own performance to say he no longer deserves it, and he's going to be 30, 70, or whatever. But Betts has some pretty cool narrative too, right? I mean, he's been a, an elite right fielder, and then the Dodgers had a bunch of injuries and underperformance, and all of a sudden he's been playing second base and shortstop like reasonably well. And now he's been playing it almost so well, I don't even think about it anymore. Like I'll see the lineups come out at night, and it's like, oh, Betts is playing second base, yeah. That's that's cool. That's a totally normal thing for someone to do who's got 36 home runs. It's just move to the middle infield because your team needs to. And I don't know that we can quantify that as well as we might need to. Like you can put positional adjustments, but there's a lot of value to the Dodgers because they have enough outfielders and you didn't really want Miguel Vargas and Miguel Rojas to play anymore. Like there's value in that. I almost wonder if that counteracts some of the Acuna narrative. It's going to be tough for voters to pick, I think. I think that 
you know, Shohei Otani has totally changed the way we think about versatility in baseball um, in a way that almost, I think, overshadows a little bit what Betts is doing. And I think that's part of why this season for me has been overlooked. Like, the, it's not just that he's playing second base and shortstop. After he started playing there, I started watching the Dodgers more closely when he was playing and was like truly blown away by how good he looked in the middle infield and how easy he made it look. I do think that like it's almost easy to take for granted how good Mookie bets. I think in terms of like overall baseball skill, in terms of like being able to do everything well, I'm not sure I've seen a better player than Mookie Betts. Could you imagine if your team had Mookie Betts and then traded him? Like what, that would that would be a wild thing. <laughs> it, it's just like he does he does everything well. Like the, just the the amount of baseball skill he has, you know, like as good as like Mike Trout was at his peak. I don't think Mike Trout could have just like been plopped in at shortstop and been like looked really smooth and really good and been like no issue. That's kind of what I'm getting at. This doesn't mean that like Mookie Betts is therefore the best player of all time. I think in terms of just like the broadest most impressive skill set, I think he has an argument of having the broadest, most impressive skill set that I've ever seen. Because of the bowling, right? We're talking about the bowling. <laughs> yes. No, he is actually doing something no one's ever done. No one has ever played a season with at least 15 games at second and short in any outfield spot while hitting 25 home runs. And he's going to end up with more than 40 home runs. The last thing I want to ask you about this, we, or maybe me, like we, we've been positioning this as kind of a two-man race, you know, Betts versus Acuna. I feel like that does a little bit of a disservice to Freddie Freeman, who's also having a wildly good year. His triple slash line average on base slugging is almost identical to Acuna's, just about identical. It's actually got slightly higher war, and he is going to, I don't know if he's going to set it, he's going to come close to tying or breaking the all-time record for doubles, and he's still got a shot at taking down Luis Arise for the batting average title. And I don't think those things are enough I think it's hard when you're a first baseman who's not like meaningfully outslugging your team's own second baseman slash right fielder to get back in the race. But it's like he's going to finish third, not because he's not deserving of winning. Like there's probably 80% of other years in baseball history where he is the MVP. And it's just because these two guys are having monumental years. Or or is that not enough? Is this a three-man race? I don't think it's a three-man race for the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, the doubles thing is wild that no one has hit 60 doubles since 1936. Like... It's kind of wild that hasn't happened. And Castellanos got to 58 a couple years ago. I mean, you don't need to sell me on Freddie Freeman. He's amazing. You know, he's made himself like, a, you know, a lock Hall of Famer in my mind. Do you, but you mentioned the slugging thing. And I think that's actually the thing about Mookie's case that I think is in some ways what's kind of confusing to people is because he's five foot nine. He doesn't look like a slugger at all. He's slugging over 600. Like he has a higher slugging percentage than Freeman. He has this higher slugging percentage than Matt Olson, whose like whole thing is like, oh, I'm the the corner guy who just hits like home runs. Like he's slugging 600. It's it's wild. I mean, and he's obviously outslugging Acuna, who people also think of as a better power hitter than Mookie Betts. Yeah, and was it only like six or seven weeks ago that Mookie Betts showed up in the home run derby and totally flopped too? <laughs> That seems wild. We're talking about a guy's leading the NL in slugging, and it was in a power hitting competition. It just did not work, which I almost think I respect him more for. It's like, I need the real game. I need for it to matter, for it to actually matter. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Convention Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrero and Matt Myers. Each week, we like to look at three interesting topics of the week in what we call our three-banner minimum. The first is the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles, since we last recorded, had some terribly bad news in that Felix Bautista injured his elbow. And while it hasn't been confirmed he's out for the year, it sure feels a lot like he's going to be out for the year. But at the same time, Grayson Rodriguez all of a sudden looks like an absolute ace. And if you look at where they are right now, last night they won their 83rd game that matches last year's win total. They are 34 games above 500 for the first time since 1997. And with 30 games to go, all they need to do to get to 100 wins is go 17 and 13. It would be their first 100 win season since 1980. I guess the Orioles are for real. And yet, when I've looked at their team this year, the clear strength, aside from like, you know, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, has been the back of that bullpen where Felix Bautista was having maybe the most dominant relief pitching season in the entire history of baseball, now he's likely gone. And it already seemed like that bullpen needed an extra arm. Like, Janir Cano has been fantastic, but it seemed like he was uh, maybe tiring a little bit, though he's been very good lately. And now you're going to get to these questions. It's like, when you get to the postseason, maybe your bullpen's not as deep as you thought it was. And all of a sudden, are you confident in starting Grayson Rodriguez in game one, like a rookie who got sent back to the minors two months ago, has been great. Do you have confidence in him? Kyle Gibson? Kyle Bradish? Jack Flaherty has been okay? That's going to be a really interesting thing for me. Like, what do you do with this pitching staff? Because it just, it does not look the way I thought it would a month ago for both good and bad reasons. For me, the Grayson Rodriguez question is most interesting just because, like, he is now in uncharted territory for innings pitched. And I would think... Traditionally, the Orioles, given how they're run, um, would be the type of team that would not be interested in pushing someone way beyond their previous innings limits. Just, you know, for some context here, he's now thrown 134 innings this year, Rodriguez. His previous career high, 134 already and counting, his previous career high in pro ball is 103 innings in 2021. He threw 75 innings last year. A lat injury, I forget I forget what it was. But the point is that, like, usually teams at this point are like, whoa, like, slow down but like if the Orioles are going to go to the World Series he's going to and he pitches he'll end up pitching like doubling his previous career high which seems like something a team like the Orioles or most teams at this day and age would never want to do you know early in the season they said there was no strict innings limit on it they haven't really said much about it since but like I mean I'm of the mind that they should just like pitch him within reason and let it you know like pitch him responsibly but just like keep pitching him but we also don't know how his arm's gonna respond like at some point he might just hit a wall and he started to like look more effective maybe he starts falling off again yeah I mean and I said best of three obviously a lot of that depends on if they end up getting a buy or not which the American League West kind of changes by the day so we're not really sure how that's gonna happen uh I think I think you have to keep pitching him because this isn't necessarily a season where it's like okay well we're building we're building for the future, so we're going to worry about next year and not this year. I feel like this is a right now time. You know, like they are the, a good team right now, and they need to take advantage of the opportunity to win right now. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I know it's a different situation where we saw the White Sox, and we we're like, oh, yeah, they, I think the White Sox is going to be really good for the next couple of years. And like 10 minutes later, they were terrible. 
And I think it's going to happen here for a lot of reasons. But you do have to take advantage of the opportunities that are there. And if you remember how how rotten Rodriguez's season started off. So remember, he didn't make opening day, but he got called up soon afterwards. And he was in the big leagues for two months, 10 starts in April and May, 735 ERA, like legitimately terrible. Sent back to the minors for about six weeks. He's come up eight starts in the second half, 535 OPS against, 283 ERA. He's allowed 11 earned runs in seven starts. And it's like, it's always more than just how hard are you throwing. But when he was here in April, he was throwing 96, and now he's throwing 98. Uh, He told MLB.com that I quote, the first stint up here, a lot of fastballs are right down the middle. And I'm trying to eliminate that now, working both sides of the plate up and down. I'd say it's working, right? And this isn't like a pop-up guy out of nowhere. This was a top draft pick and someone who was like an overall top prospect. He looks exactly like the scouting report said. And I don't know that I can see an argument for not starting him in game one of a potential playoff series unless you think he can't handle it, right? And how could we know that from the outside? I almost wonder, though, if it's worse. Like, you think, well, game one's a lot of pressure. I, I don't know. Do I want him out there the next game if we've lost and you don't want to go down 2 nothing, Or if it's in a best of five, like, your season's on the line? I, I think that's worse. I say start him in game one. No, I think he, I mean, I think he would be there, assuming, like, they're able to line it up because, as you sure. said, like, they may not be able to because they're trying to play for seeding all the way down to the last game of the season. But, like, at that point, he'll have pitched in a bunch of games of that – that are meaningful in packed stadiums in intense environments at that point, like I wouldn't have anything to worry about. What's also interesting about him is not just the, the velo, although that's significant. He's also changed his pitch mix. Like he basically is like early in the season, he was throwing a cutter. He was throwing a curveball. He's basically not throwing either of those, but he was like a, he was like throwing five pitches early in the season. Now he's basically become a three pitch guy. It seems like those things are probably all related. Um, Either way, all things being equal right now, I think he's their, their most, I don't want to say fearsome starter. I don't know what the right word, but like he's who I'd no, want. I do. I do. Fearsome. Yeah. Yes. He's their, no, most, right. he's their most fearsome <laughs> starter. So, yes. It, it, the bullpen's interesting, too, because like Batista's hurt, may or may not come back. I don't know if you remember D.L. Hall, who was their first round pick back in 2017, who used to have a funnier name than he does now, back when we still called it the disabled list. It was very funny to have a pitcher named D.L. Hall. It's less funny now that it's the injured list. He touched 98 on Saturday. Um, Tyler Wells, who was a starter for much of the season, has been pitching in relief in AAA. So he's a possibility. Uh, like, could you see Jack Flaherty coming out of the bullpen? We never even talked about Jacob Webb, who they picked up for like nothing from Anaheim and has been fantastic. I, I think they're going to mix and match the bullpen to try to work around Bautista's absence, but you can't, right? Like, he was striking out like 50% of the batters. It stinks. Like, I guess it's, I don't want to say it's an Otani level of disappointment that he got injured. But he was pretty close in terms of uh, appointment viewing for me. Like when I knew he was coming into the game, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch the Orioles game because I want to see this man pitch. And it was never disappointing. And now it's a huge bummer. And not only that, it's a huge blow to the to their playoff hopes. I, I, there's nothing to be done about it. No, there's not. And I think the thing about Cano, as good as he's been, and as you mentioned, he kind of took a dip and um, he's been he sort of has stabilized his season a bit. He's not a big strikeout guy. So, you know, compared to other, like, relievers of this day, and specifically Batista, but, like, even just, like, as good as he is, like, he's, you know, like, a pretty average strikeout pitcher for a reliever. You know, once you get into, you know, postseason, small sample, like, just batted ball weirdness becomes, can have a much bigger impact on every game. And so I think that, like, that's why, even if you, like, feel like, okay, he's, like, a, a good substitute, it's just, like, the the... the the chain of events, the, the the chain of their bullpen, it's just moving everyone up a link. It's just, 
it's significant. It's, it's one of those things that's more significant than just like basic war would tell you. Our second topic, as things stand right now, and some of these teams are playing this afternoon, so it'll change soon, there is a three-way tie for first place in the American League West. Seattle is 75 and 57. Texas is 75 and 57. Houston is like a fraction of a percentage point behind at 76 and 58 because they have two fewer games remaining. Texas got off to such a hot start, and they kind of went for me from like unsustainably hot for a while because they were hitting like the 1927 Yankees or the runners in scoring position to... Oh, no, I actually believe this. Like, I actually think they're a good team. And they traded for uh, Max Scherzer, and they traded for Jordan Montgomery, and they traded for Rolf Chapman, although they'd probably like Cole Reagan's back right now. And Houston was like kind of the slumbering giant that you knew they'd come back. And Seattle, I was like so out on. And all of a sudden, Seattle's been playing out of their minds. Houston is getting healthy, right? Michael Brantley's finally coming back. And Texas has been sort of falling apart. This is going to be a really wild, I think, end of the season. We, we probably talked about this recently, that Seattle ends their season basically against these two other teams for like two straight weeks, which is going to be fantastic. Texas, I think the right way to say this is they sort of look like the team now that I thought they would be in April, right? Like I thought the infield would be great, but it's been very good. But the outfield would be kind of iffy, uh, and it has been. Like Odolis Garcia's pretty good, but everybody else has been struggling. And in fact, if you look at their outfield, in June, they had a 913 OPS, and in August, they have a 646 OPS. And the pitching's been top-heavy. Like, Montgomery's been great, but Dane Dunning's kind of fallen apart, and John Gray's not been that good, and Perez and Heaney and Scherzer's been, you know, fine. And that kind of, like, all tracks. Oh, and the bullpen's been, like, a total tire fire. That sort of tracks with what I thought they'd be. So it's like they played above their heads for four months and are now getting back to the projected level. Is that too simplistic of a way to look at it? I think that's I think that's about right. I mean, I think you might be under... I mean, Scherzer's been pretty good the last couple outings for them, so I think that's actually been like a kind of meaningful upgrade, but it doesn't... The bullpen is still... You know, he can't pitch every inning, um, nor can Jordan Montgomery. So I think that the bull, bullpen is still a definite concern. And sometimes you see teams, you know, play above their skis for a whole season, and then it comes back the next year. Sometimes you see sort of like a little bit of regression within the season. I think that's kind of a little bit of what we're seeing with the Rangers right now. It doesn't mean they're not going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to make the playoffs. They still might win the division. But the Mariners have done a very good job of taking advantage of a very soft schedule for a few weeks and winning the games that they need to win, which I always think is a credit. I mean, like two things can be true. Like they've had a soft schedule, but yes, they took advantage, which is what good teams should do. And now they're they're tied for first, although they now have some weirdness with Julio Rodriguez out for a couple of games with like a sore left foot, which just out of nowhere was like scratched before the game on Tuesday night. And he's out again today on Wednesday. So he was playing out of his mind. And so that's, that is something to monitor as they say, as we, as we go forward. Are all three of these teams making the playoffs? Um, I think so. Just because of, I mean, the, the Blue Jays are so, but now with, you know, Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman out, um, you know, it's just hard to now. It's like hard to see them. They they feel like they're going to be the odd team out just because of the injuries and just the 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 vibes being a bit off off there as well as they kind of have been have been all season. I mean, they, you know, losing another heartbreaker to the Nationals last night. The Nationals, as an aside, having one of the more inexplicable stretches of baseball that I can remember in recent history. Like since the the All Star break, they've like the third best record in the National League, and you look at the roster, and it's kind of hard to explain why. But they've played a they played a nice spoiler role like they did they did last night. So that's that's my take. What do you what do you think? All three teams make the playoffs? Um, I, I think Kelly Gruber and Damaso Garcia are playing the left side for uh, Toronto today. I, I want to be in on Toronto so bad. I still believe in Toronto, or I should say I believed in Toronto until Bichette and Chapman went down. 
Like everybody in Toronto wants to throw the manager into the sun, which is what happens when, when things struggle. I don't know how you manage your way around Bobachet and Matt Chapman both being out and Vlad Guerrero Jr. underperforming. Like I, just, I don't know what you do. Like it stinks. There's, there's nothing to be done. And as much as I want to say they're going to figure it out, uh, I mean, look at it this way: there's one playoff team from the Central. We know it's going to be Minnesota. Three, three from the West, and Baltimore and Tampa from the East. Yeah, I guess it comes down to do I think Toronto will get back into it or do I think Texas will totally collapse? I think if both Bichette and Chapman were in, I might have said Toronto. But now that they're out, I think you're right. I think this is the playoffs right here. Seattle, Texas, Houston, Minnesota, Baltimore, Tampa. Let's just get to it. Let's skip the next month. We've already got the American League all sorted out. Unless things change. Now let's get to our third topic because this is this is going to take a minute and it was kind of wild. Last night... Uh, at the end of the day, on the East Coast, uh, Jeff Passan reports that the Angels put like a third of their roster on waivers. Giolito, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, Randall Gritchuk, Hunter Renfro, Dominic Leone, hilariously not Mike Pistakis, hilariously maybe only to me. Uh, they were all put on waivers. And what does that mean? They have 48 hours to be claimed by another team. Um, these are not revocable waivers. If a team claims them, that then that player is gone. The Angels can't say, never mind, we're going to pull it back, as it used to be. What's happening here is that the deadline for postseason eligibility is at the end of this month. So 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on August 31st, which uh, for us is tomorrow. And that means if you put these players on waivers, then contending teams still have a shot to get them and add them for nothing but money. It's not a trade. There's no prospects. It is only the remaining part of their contract for the season. So, you know, for a couple of these guys, it's like a million dollars, two million dollars, depending on what they're making. It's just not that much. And for the Angels, now I should be clear, not just the Angels, right? They only they're the only team that did so many players, but the Yankees put Harrison Bader on waivers, the Mets did Carrasco, the White Sox, Clevenger, the Detroit did Jose Cisnero. Um, but the Angels did a lot of players. And it's a wild look because exactly one month ago, they said, no, we're we're not trading. We're not trading Otani. We're in. We're going to go trade for Giolito and more. And, you know, Gritchick and uh, Lopez, excuse me, not more. They had more. They traded for Lopez. And now all of a sudden they're turning around and saying, yeah, we, we gave up some pretty good prospects, especially to Chicago for these guys. And now we're just dumping them to save money. And that's it's a little more complicated than that. No one should care that much that they save a few million dollars. But their goal here is that if they shed enough, they can get below the uh, collective bargaining tax limit. And that would upgrade the pick they get for Shohei Otani leaving. This all gets really boring into like baseball math stuff. But anyway, it sort of makes sense for them because their season is over. All these players are free agents. Like nobody can get a qualifying offer, or, or nobody would get a qualifying offer here. Giolito and Lopez can't. And the players get to move on to potentially a playoff contender as opposed to playing out the string. The Angels probably get to improve their qualifying offer pick. It's a bad look. But I don't think I have a problem with them doing it. Like, it's the rational thing to do. And if we as a sport don't like it, then change the rules. That's kind of where I am here. I generally agree. I just, I think what I don't like about it is that, I mean, granted, the Angels have been pretty uncompetitive for about a month now. I think, you know, I love September baseball. I think, you know, it's, it's you know, going on to MLB TV, you know, mid-September being what's on tonight, who's playing, what are the playoff implications, and being able to bounce around to different games that all have playoff implications is a lot of fun. And I think it's part of like the, what, my favorite time of the year. But it's there every year there's usually a handful of teams. Sometimes it's like, you know, two or three who are like kind of non-competitive and they make that part of the season less interesting, less exciting, less compelling. 
And I hate when there's more of those teams. And I think that like, not that these players are that great, but I think that the Angels, if you take these five guys off the roster, and I'm guessing they'll all get claimed, I'm kind of curious to see who claims them. That's sort of a, a discussion we can get into in a second. Of just like, in terms of true talent, they will basically drop down into the, maybe not quite the A's Royals level, maybe actually Royals, you know, because, you know, I was going to say they still have Otani. Well, the Royals have, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. and Cole Reagans, who's like the best pitcher in baseball now. Um, they're basically going down into that tier of basically non-competitive rosters. And the Angels have a lot of games left against teams that are, they've got three against the Orioles next week, and then they've got the Mariners, then they've got the Rays and the Twins and the Rangers. Like, it just like, it has an impact on the overall playoff picture. And that's what I don't like about it. In terms of acting in their best interest, the Angels... Yes, the the thing about the competitive balance tax and getting better draft picks if Otani leaves, like it makes sense. It's just like I think it just makes the late season playoff picture less compelling. My hot take is just bring back the waiver deadline, the waiver trade deadline, as we used to have in the past. There was a second you could make a trade in August if your guy passed through waivers first. That always was pretty entertaining, I thought. But the way this works, and I know this is confusing to people, is we got these reports that these guys were on waivers. And I should mention this too. We don't know that this is the full list. It's very possible there are other guys who've been placed on waivers that just haven't been reported yet. It's not like some official press release went out from the league office and said, these are the guys on waivers. We could possibly be dozens more guys. I have absolutely no idea. But some of these guys who were uh, in this report, they played last night. And that confused people. Like, wait, how are they in the lineup? It's because a waiver claim isn't handled instantaneously, right? There's like there's a 48-hour waiver period. Teams can p- put in a claim at any point during that. It is not first come, first serve. It doesn't matter who put it in at 2 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock. At the end of the 48 hours, based on a reverse order of standings on that day, that's who gets the player, Right. So the order won't be locked until after tonight's games, which is kind of interesting. There are some teams that are tied. So like today's games actually will matter in the waiver order, which I think is going to be kind of fun. And I promise I will not read the list of all 30 teams backwards in order. What is going to happen here is that, you know, the 10 or so best teams, right, the Braves, Orioles, Dodgers, et cetera, they, they're not going to have a shot at the best players here because the lesser teams will get them. But the absolute bottom of the barrel teams aren't going to bother right? The A's will have first crack at all these guys. The A's could have put in a claim for every single one here. They're not going to do it. (laughs) There's just no point for them to do it, right? The same thing for the Royals. I would argue that there are some teams there who aren't making the playoffs this year who could be, let's say, chaos agents, right? They could say you're the Mets or you're the Yankees. And you say, well, I don't care about the money for a month. Who cares? But I want to pitch Lucas Giolito on the fact that we can help him improve and he might like playing in New York City for next year. You know, Does anybody put it past A.J. Preller to do something insane and claim literally every player who's ever been put on waivers? My personal favorite, I know this won't happen. I know it won't happen. Colorado should claim Harrison Bader because if you can give me one month of Harrison Bader, Brenton Doyle, and Nolan Jones and finally get like a good, really good defensive outfield, in Coors Field, just to see it, just to know what would happen. They'll never do it, but just do it. Just do it. They won't do it. All these guys are going to go to, I don't know, the Reds, the, the, the Marlins. That's the one other thing I'll mention, too, is that like this isn't like your fantasy league where if you get a claim, you go to the back of the order. The Marlins are probably the first kind of playoffish team that they're, they're like the last team that still kind of has a realistic chance at the playoffs. The Marlins could theoretically claim all these guys and get all of them. If they, you know, so it's like that's that's what's interesting to me is that like that you could end up with like one of these teams get suddenly just adding four angels, you know, like that's that I think would be interesting. And again, they're not like 
superstars. But then again, like two years ago, the Braves rode Eddie Rosario to a World Series. Like, like Randall Gritchick could have a month like Eddie Rosario had. Hunter Renfro could have a month like Eddie Rosario had and could change like the fortunes of a franchise in their career just with like the best the best timed month of their career at the right times. So, like that's kind of what what I'm interested in. I mean, what do you think is good? Like if you had to predict, the G-Leader thing is interesting, especially if you're a team think as you said, like thinks that they're like has a high opinion of their like pitching lab or their pitching factory and like maybe can sell them on something. But like if you had to sort of predict, what do you think is going to be like the most what do you think would be some potentially interest, interesting outcomes here? Not necessarily predictions, but just sort of like reading the tea leaves of players and fits, of like what might make sense and what do you, what are you looking for? Well, my, my first thought is why not the Cardinals? Okay, so here's the bottom five teams. A's, Royals, Rockies, White Sox, Cardinals, with the understanding this might change a little bit tonight. Those first four teams aren't going to do anything. The Cardinals have been so open about needing pitching and wanting pitching, and they're so open about the fact they think they have like the best place in the world to play. If you want to convince Lucas Giolito to sign with you next offseason, why not give him a month there and say, hey, your family could be comfortable here. Here's how things work. I, I, I know that they're not making the playoffs. I still don't, I don't see the problem with that. Like, who's starting for the Cardinals right now? It doesn't matter. Now, that aside, um, as I said, the Mets, Padres, and Yankees, you could all make a case for that. But let's set the fun stuff aside. Let's say it's only the contending teams, even though I don't think that's actually what will happen. I don't understand how any of the bats can get past the Marlins, and I don't understand how any of the arms can get past the Reds, and then that's it, right? Like Those are the <laughs> the two weakest contending teams. Because then after that, it's Diamondbacks, Twins, Giants, Cubs, who all have various arguments for various guys, right? But like, if you're the Marlins, you're not picking up like Hunter Renfro and saying, please hit me some home runs. You know, if you're not the Reds, you're not picking up more and Lopez, who both been pretty good and saying, okay, now our bullpen's better. And also Lucas Giolito is starting for us because Nick Lodolo is hurt again. Like, I almost wonder how do either of those teams not collect everybody worth collecting? I understand there's money. Not every team wants to spend the money. That's fine. None of these guys cost that much. It's a month. So I almost look at it as like, Man, it's a miracle if anybody gets to the Giants or Cubs or Blue Jays or Phillies. Yeah, it'll be. I I think the point you made earlier is perhaps the most interesting one is that this process is supposed to be confidential. So I'm like curious of who the mystery player is that's out there. We were joking yesterday, like what if what if Mike Trout's actually on? What if Mike Trout's on waivers? I think that's an interesting thought exercise. If the if the Angels put Mike Trout on waivers, which like this is like depressing to say, but like. It's not the craziest idea, considering he hasn't played a full season in years and is under contract at like thirty-five million per year for the next seven years, and has a full no trade clause. Who would who do you think would be the first team to claim him? Going down that list, uh, well, it's not going to be the A's or the Royals. I'd love it to be the Rockies. It's not going to be the White Sox, Cardinals, Tigers, or Pirates. It will absolutely be either the Mets or the Padres. There is a one hundred percent chance one of those two teams would trade would claim Mike Trout. Probably the Mets. Wouldn't you do that if you were Steve Cohen? He's still Mike Trout. I, I wonder about the Tigers. Okay, maybe. I mean, maybe. But I, I think Mike Trout's not really going to be on waivers. No, he's not. But but I I think you're right that there's going to be other guys on waivers, and I think it's going to be guys who fall under one of two categories, right? Contracts you would absolutely love to be rid of, even though you know nobody will pick it up, like Anthony Rendon, right? And similar-ish impending free agent types, like Giolito from some of these like lesser teams. I, I guess what I should have done is it'd be nice to know who's very, very close to these tax limits. Like That's what the Angels are, right? They're very close, likely a little bit over. I don't know offhand which other teams are like slightly over and might want to drop down. But I guarantee we're going we're gonna to find some press release tomorrow where a team is going to claim someone interesting. And we're going to be all, 
that guy's been on waivers for two days and nobody knew about it? Maybe we do need to formalize this process. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with a couple of guys you need to know a little bit more about. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. Each week, we like to end with a couple of guys you should know more about. I would say that it is a rarity when I talk about someone who's under the radar and we should talk about a little bit more. And it turns out it's a former number one overall draft pick. Although I suppose, Matt, you did do Mickey Moniak earlier this season. So I guess that's the second time now we're doing it. My guy's Royce Lewis of the Minnesota Twins, who has been through a lot. and He's been fantastic lately. He hit grand slams in two games in a row earlier this week, and he's got home runs in three straight. He has home runs in five of his last seven games, a 142 OPS+. plus. He's basically taken over as Minnesota's mostly regular third base, and you'd say, great, good outcome. Number one overall pick is a shortstop. Now he's your third baseman. Wonderful. Everything must have gone smoothly. Not so quite. So number one overall in 2017, ahead of Hunter Green. And Mackenzie Gore, obviously a very highly touted prospect. He'd been the MVP of both the Under Armour All-American Game and the Perfect Game All-American Classic in 2016. As a quick side note, that 2017 first round, Brandon McKay, Austin Beck, Adam Hazley, Paven Smith were all top 10 guys. Not great. The best wins above replacement careers from that first round so far. Drew Rasmussen and Tanner Houck, at least until Royce Lewis gets going. So he was drafted in 17. 2018, he was the MVP of the Midwestern League, all good. And then things got bad. In 2019, he only had a 290 on base between high A and double A. And then there was no minor league season in 2020. And then in 2021, he injured his left ACL, slipping on ice in the winter. He missed the entire season. So now it's 2022. He hasn't played a game in 29 months, returns to play in triple A, gets up to the majors. In his 12th game in the big leagues, runs into the wall, re-injures the same knee surgery again missed the first month of this year recovering from that gets back to the twins in may and then misses an entire month with an oblique injury so obviously health is going to be an issue here but after all that he's only just 24 right he's only turned 24 in june there's still plenty of time here and the talent seems real and he seems like a lot of fun to watch so royce lewis like i'm pulling for him because he seems like fun and because he's been through so much as the number one overall pick and somebody from that top 10 really needs to succeed. Like Hunter Green's been fine. Mackenzie Gore has been fine, but I need like a superstar from that draft and it's not going to be Drew Rasmussen. It's going to be Royce Lewis. The Twins have had a weird season. They're in first place. They're going to go to the playoffs. A lot of it's been kind of disappointing. You know, Buxton's barely played. Correa has been disappointing. The pitching was good, but then Joe Ryan got, you know, it's like, it's been like ups and downs. The one like clear, like kind of promising thing for them is like they're young guys some of whom, I mean, Royce Lewis is the number one overall pick, but uh, Matt Walner, Edward Julian, like they've had like three good young position players who've had really nice years for them who look like a nice 
a nice core. And that's like, you know, you look at the AL Central is in a bit of a transition period. The Twins, despite some weirdness with other stuff on their roster, they actually look pretty well positioned, assuming Royce Lewis can hopefully keep building on this because you're right, he's very exciting. And given the pedigree and the profile, you'd like to think there might be like, you know, I don't want to say another level there, but you could have an all-star player here. You calling the American League Central in a transition period is just about the kindest way one could possibly describe the American League Central. I I appreciate your optimism there. (laughs) Who do you have? My guy, this, you know, there's been not much that has gone right for the Oakland A's this year. Um, And I actually had one of their guys earlier this year and Ryan Noda, who's having a nice year. But I wanted to point out Zach Geloff, who has probably been the brightest spot for the A's this season. Galoff is currently hitting 269, 335, 551 in 173 plate appearances. Not only that, he's 9 for 10 in stolen bases. And he made a couple of pieces of history that I think is pretty impressive for a franchise that's been around since 1901. On August 16th, he became the first player in ace history to have 20 extra base hits and 20 runs scored through his first 28 games. On August 24th, he hit his 10th home run in his 35th major league game, making him the fastest A's player to reach 10 home runs in history. I think that's pretty cool considering, as I said, this is like, you know, one of the longest running franchises there is. Um, He was their second round pick out of UVA in 2021. So he's a a fast riser. He actually played for Team Israel in the uh, WBC this year, although he did not play especially well. He went over 13 with seven strikeouts. Um, He did have a walk. Uh, His brother, Jake, was drafted, also played at UVA and was drafted by the Dodgers in the third round this year. So we could have another set of brothers coming to the major leagues in uh, in a city near you. And I have a piece of trivia for you, uh, Mike. Zach Geloff was born in Delaware. Do you know who has the highest career war amongst players born in Delaware? I have to rank them by work. Could I even name another player who was born in Delaware? No. You have to give me a brief hint here. I can tell you this while you're thinking of a hint. Uh, He was named the class president in all four years of his high school career. That's good makeup, right? You just, you just stole my last, you just stole my last fact, Mike. Ah, all right. Who's give me a Delaware name. I don't know. Ken Singleton. Um, no, the hint is that this person is not associated with Delaware at all, but he is a recent major league MVP was born in Delaware. Uh, well, Trout was born in New Jersey. That's kind of near Delaware. We, we claim Delaware, Southern New Jersey. I don't know. Paul Goldschmidt was born in Delaware. Oh, my God. You could have given me like 100 years now to never come up with Paul I said recent MVP. I narrowed it down pretty significantly. No, no, it didn't. I appreciate that you think it did, but it did not. (laughs) Um, How how many – so great great choice. How many casual or semi-casual baseball fans or even, I don't know, serious baseball fans do you think know who Zach Geloff is or what team he plays for right now? Is it less than 1%? Um, I mean, the A's haven't been terribly watchable. Right. No, I mean, and the A's to their, I mean, they, they've like, they've actually brought up a lot of their prospects. Most of them haven't really played that yeah. well. Um, but it's been actually like, if you're interested, if you're like a prospect person, like they've actually been a pretty interesting team this year. You know, like they brought up Tyler Soderstrom, Lawrence Butler, who, who am I forgetting? Who's the pitcher? Uh, Lawrence Butler was the name I was going to say because um, he's been a lot of fun to watch. Who are you forgetting? I don't think you mean Asturi Ruiz, and I don't think you mean J.J. Blade. Mason Miller? Oh, Mason Miller. Totally forgot about him because he's been hurt. Although I, I think he's coming back like this week or soon. I, I appreciate that we have found time on this podcast to talk about the A's 
multiple times, maybe exactly twice or three times, but we have done it. We have talked about the A's. I like, I like Zach Elf, and uh, I, I think he's going to be a fun trivia question someday where, like, if they end up moving, you know, he's going to, I don't know, like Kevin Durant started his career in Seattle. Nobody remembers he played for Seattle for, like, a minute. So he might be, like, a cool trivia question. And it's like, you know, Las Vegas Hall of Famer. And it's like, oh, yeah, he played, played in Oakland. <laughs> that was really cool. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.